It's June 19th, 2013, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I am Ryan Ozawa, and we'll be your geeks in residence for the next hour. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us today is Carrie and Brandon Bennett from Happy Hour Hawaii to tell us about their nationwide rollout. Finally, we will find out about the Honolulu chapter of the Founder Institute and how it hopes to help build the entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Hawaii. Have your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. Well, climate research has focused heavily on carbon emissions from human activities, with scientists largely assuming that about half of the emissions linger in the atmosphere with the rest absorbed by the oceans or settling on land. But in a new study announced last week, suggests uh, suggests that um, human activity could also be influencing the movement of carbon from land to rivers, estuaries, coastal zones, meaning that large quantities of uh, anthropogenic carbon may be hidden in regions that are currently not widely studied. University of Hawaii Oceanography Professor Fred McKenzie, who was working with colleagues in the UK, France, Belgium, and Switzerland, took a second look at previously published data on carbon emission absorption credited to land masses. The study showed that increased leaching of carbon from soil has resulted in less carbon being stored on land and more stored in rivers, streams, lakes, reservoirs, estuaries, and coastal zones. These are environments that are together known as the land-ocean aquatic continuum. Well, the study highlights the need for additional research into the impact of factors like deforestation, wastewater management, and increased weathering. It also allows future estimates of uh, carbon storage in a region to be adjusted based on the surface area of the relevant land-ocean continuum. Uh, Lead researcher Pierre Feinstein said in a statement, Carbon storage in sediments in these rivers and coastal regions could present a more secure environment than carbon stored in soil on land. As soil warms up, stored carbon can be lost to the atmosphere. The changes of this occurring in wet sediments are reduced. Now, it's kind of interesting because I never really thought that uh, you would start to, well, you know, carbon is probably stored on land, but the idea that the carbon is getting leached from land and then moving into the ocean is is something that is sort of a new revelation. Right, and basically they're saying we may have been overestimating the amount of carbon that absor- that is absorbed by trees and that or or by the soil because when it gets uh, leached and it ends up in these moist sediments, it is locked solidly in there mm-hmm. and kind of gets removed from the equation. So without an understanding of the bigger picture, we might have been saying, uh, we might have misunderstood where carbon is going and that a lot of it might be locked in these very specific regions. They're saying that, you know, some might return to the atmosphere, maybe 10% reaches the ocean. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot locked up that uh, wasn't previously accounted for in these countries. And I guess, you know, when when you think about it, the deforestation could affect the amount of uh, leaching because obviously if you remove the trees, then any kind of rainfall might cause some erosion. And as a result of re- erosion, you know, carbon might be moving off of the land and into whatever waterways that exist. Right. And so specifically, they're saying with their calculations now, when you're studying carbon emissions in a specific region, say the West Coast, um, you will be able to say, well, because of the size of these estuaries and these runoff areas and these coastal areas, um, this much is actually probably locked up there. So again, you know, I think we may have been more optimistic in terms of what uh, what trees and the, the soil have been doing mm-hmm, for us mm-hmm. and might have to think even more differently about handling our emissions. 
Astronomers constantly struggle to explain how our largely two-dimensional view of the sky translates into an immensely deep three-dimensional universe of galaxies and stars. Last week, a new video was released that helps put everything in perspective. Produced by an international team of researchers and unveiled at a conference in France to honor the career and 70th birthday of University of Hawaii astronomer Brent Tully, the video uses rotation, panning, and zooming to give us a 3D view that reaches up to 340 million light years from our Milky Way galaxy. Well, Tali, a researcher at the UH Institute for Astronomy, has been described as the cosmic cartographer and is widely credited for developing the overarching model of the structure of the universe. The structure, one of uh, clusters of galaxies aligned along a vast filaments and bound by invisible strands of dark matter, was the focus of the Cosmic Flows Project, which has been mapped, uh, mapping both visible and dark matter densities throughout space since 2007. While the video shows the movements of the galaxies that we can see, it more notably illustrates the presence and influence of dark matter, which is invisible yet credited with powering the expansion of the universe. Tully notes that humans can only see a tiny fraction of the greater universe limited to a horizon of about 14 billion light years. But the team says that it has additional data that could double the size of its 3D maps to 600 million light years. Now, they have a, a really pretty interesting uh, video that is on Vimeo, and we should probably, probably put up the link uh, somewhere. But the uh, yeah, the video has this nice sort of piano background, and it's uh, uh, spoken by a, a French woman. And, and I was reading the LA Times, and it said that if you watch this video, it'll certainly become a stoner classic. <laughs> well, I, I do agree that it can definitely uh, melt your mind, burn, <laughs> you know, bend your mind in terms of it is a very clear description of how enormous the galaxy is, how really small even our galaxy is, which, of course, our galaxy is enormous compared to our solar system. It's it's definitely kind of humbling. But uh, it, it, I didn't even know that much about Brent Tully. And it turns out that um, he's responsible for the when you see a uh, drawing of what the galaxy, of th- what the universe looks like, and kind of a, a cube drawing <laughs> with <laughs> a scale across this way, and then the little dots that represent what the, where the galaxies are, that was his. Um, and with a with a with another researcher, that was his innovation mm-hmm. in astronomy. And even to this day, when you discover a new galaxy and you depict it in that way in that cube, it was it was his uh, it was his depiction that kind of created the framework that people use to describe this mm-hmm. stuff. Well, and you know, the other thing that's interesting is that when they first start to show you in the video, they kind of give you a 2D image, and then they break it into a, a 3D. And then the narrator says, obviously, this is a very complex image. So let's go in and ground this by looking at where the Milky Way is. So she goes in, and then you know, we sort of zoom into the Milky Way. And then they, they sort of break it up into, uh, they, they take that and look at 3D slices of mm-hmm. that area of space and what happens is that they point out areas called like the zone of avoidance or the local void and these are like areas where there are no galaxies and that's probably areas where dark matter exists because there's nothing else there so uh, we would definitely encourage you to look for that, you can just Google cosmography of the local universe. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of science blogs really loved it. Discovery Magazine blog called it the most amazing video you'll see all week. So uh, I would say it's worth checking out. Yep, definitely. Well, Solana, the developer of algae-based fuel and other products, last week signed a deal with the Nesti Oil, the world's largest supplier of renewable diesel fuel. Solana has offices in Hawaii and San Diego. The company says the multi-year non-exclusive deal to provide Nesti with crude 
algal oil will allow it to accelerate its development of its other two lines of algae-based business, animal feed and omega-3 nutritional oils. The commercial offtake agreement means that Finland-based Nesti Oil has committed to buy algal oil from Solana, provided the company can reach commercial-grade production capacity and continue to comply with rules and regulations affecting biofuels. The company says it's aiming to develop a global production capacity of 100,000 metric tons of algae biomass per year. It currently operates a six-acre demonstration facility in Kona and is planning a demonstration plant at the Tesoro refinery in Kapolei. Well, Selena ultimately hopes to operate multi-commercial algae facilities in Hawaii on the mainland, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia. Company CEO Martin Sarbarski acknowledged the U.S. Departments of Energy, Agriculture, and Defense for their support. He said in a statement, this deal illustrates the success of U.S. federal government agencies in funding advanced research and development of companies like Selena that are nearing commercialization. And, you know, we've been covering sort of this uh, uh, energy sector where algae and, you know, these biofuels are being looked at uh, in terms of producing, whether it's jet engine fuel or other uh, some of these side products. Right, and, uh, and the uh, other company, the well-known is, I guess, Kunli Agrosystems. Well, Kunli Agrosystems, uh, from, a, from a research standpoint, I mean, they um, um, Heidi Kunli has been providing a lot of the uh, sort of the the formula for some of the algae right, that right. gets used, but uh, you know um, uh, Hawaii bio bio uh, fuels was one of the companies that we had on. But there's you know been other attempts uh, throughout Hawaii that have been talking about different kinds of biofuels. But this is interesting where there's a contract now for them to supply fairly large uh, quantities. You know, of of uh, fuel. Well, the scalability is the big question. Mm-hmm. I mean, they the, according to the uh, Solana website, with their their specific modular design using open ponds, they've been able to produce twenty metric tons of uh, whole algae biomass. But mm-hmm. if you're talking about getting from twenty over the history of this technology to one hundred thousand tons a year, um, they you know they do have to expand that capacity very quickly. Yeah. So um, I mean, it's all about. I think they're all of the talks that we've had uh, show that they can do it at a pilot level. Now the question is, can they scale? Right. right. Hawaii's increasingly prominent role in the development of future space research and technology was strengthened last week with a student team from Kapilani Community College taking top honors at the International CANSAT competition. Hosted in Abilene, Texas this year, CANSAT is a design-build-launch competition that goes beyond paper designs and involves an end-to-end life cycle project, from initial concept to testing and operation to a final mission debrief. Competing with teams from across the country as well as from Canada, India, and Iran, the KCC team prepared for the final showdown for eight months. KCC professor and team advisor Hervé Collin noted that the complete engineering design process involved a 100-page preliminary design review. Only after it was presented to and reviewed by NASA judges in January was the team able to build and test their payload, presenting a critical design review in March. The payload was finally launched at the competition last week, gathering telemetry data from a rocket flying at about 2,000 feet. Most of the KCC CANSAT team were recruited through a summer program sponsored by the National Science Foundation that aims to increase the number of native Hawaiian students working in science, technology, engineering, and math. And this year's payload was designed and built with the help of the school's recently acquired 3D printer, separately refining systems for electronics, telemetry, component layout, and deployment mechanisms. 
Well, you know, I got a chance to talk to uh, Hervé. And, you know, actually, when researching this story, there's a uh, radio interview that was done on Australian radio. And it was pretty neat. It was about a 10-minute interview with uh, Hervé and the uh, couple of students that were part of this competition. But what was really quite impressive was that uh, there were probably 37 teams that initially uh, sort of registered for this competition. And after the first sort of go-around where they had to do this 100-page project proposal, uh, then they were eliminated. And there was, I mean, people were eliminated. They sort of whittled it down to about 20-something teams. And uh, if you look at the the website now, the CANSTAT, if you look at uh, CANSAT, you'll find that um, uh, the KCC team uh, rated number one just based on their voting, um, the, the 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 scoring that they achieved. Yeah, I mean, they did very well. And the next two places, the second and third place, were teams from Iran and and Canada. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, definitely a great, uh, uh, great accomplishment. And we hope to hear more from them later this month. Right. And uh, Hervé you know, gives thanks to uh, Jake Hudson over at uh, Windward Community College because uh, Jake and his rocket team were really the ones that provided the rocket launches. Well, there's a couple of tech events we wanted to uh, share with you. If you missed last week's show with the folks from the UH Economic Research Organization, you have another chance tonight to find out about the UHERO dashboard project. There will be a community meetup after the show over at R&D. You can come down tonight at 6.30 over at 691 Awahi Street to find out about how the community can contribute to this project. And next week, Tuesday, brings the first meeting of the newly formed Hawaii Virtual Reality Club, co-founded in partnership with high-capacity makerspace, the VR Club is dedicated to exploring virtual reality technologies and fostering local software development for these new platforms. The June 25th meeting will feature the Oculus Rift headset, which raised an amazing $2.4 million on Kickstarter. So if you want to check one of those out, you can go Tuesday, 6.30 p.m. at High Capacity. That's on Kamani Street in Kaka'ako. And, of course, now joining us here in the studio is Carrie and Brandon Bennett from Happy Hour Hawaii, and they're here to tell us about their national rollout. We want to welcome both Carrie and Brandon to the show. Hey, guys. Hey, happy Thanks for here. having us. <laughs> so Happy Hour, you know, I kind of get a sense as to what Happy Hour Hawaii is all about. Uh, um, I, I'd like to kind of hear the story about how Happy Hour came about. I mean, uh, can you give us the sort of how, what was the genesis of, of Happy quick Hour? quick rundown? Yeah, sure. yeah. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Actually, it came um, from a brainchild that Carrie had. She and I had moved back to Hawaii from California, living there. I'm going to school there. And um, she and I were, uh, were living in Hawaii, and we were trying to save money while we were dining out, trying to find things to do and save money while doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came up with the idea of pitching a newspaper, um, the idea of doing a happy hour review, um, simply because it was so challenging to find happy hour information on the web. Yeah, we, we kept going to the same locations because it was hard to figure out where we could find the information in one place. Mm-hmm. So when you, were, when you were looking for happy hour information, I mean, was there a particular area that you would sort of canvas or would you have certain special favorite restaurants that you were going to? Yeah, when I was writing the reviews, I definitely went to the places that I already knew. But then I just started doing searches or going to websites, just trying to find any information about happy hours I didn't know to mm-hmm. write about. Mm-hmm. And it it took a lot more time than I thought needed to be to to find this information. So, you know, Brandon and I were talking and I was I just wanted to have one resource that I could just learn about new happy hours and you know we were saving to get married at the mm-hmm. time so so we really wanted to use um, all of our resources to try new locations and if we really liked it during happy hour then of course we'd go back for dinner so that was our thing we were just trying to to dine on a budget right. mm-hmm. but then in the future 
when we made more money after getting married, you know, we could go there for dinner and really enjoy it. It's well, like having a taste. So that would, kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead. I mean, I would say that it's clear not just geeks, but everybody would be interested in cheap food and cheap beer. And, and I can see the appeal. And, and I understood that uh, Happy Hour Hawaii was initially just a website. But, uh, Brandon, you were able to take it to the next level. Right. So that's where the need came from. The need came from having to find a place where there would be happy hours listed with the information listed. Um, and Carrie was logging those reviews, publishing them in the newspaper. And I, at the time, was uh, teaching myself how to program via YouTube. Um, oh. And uh, yeah, it's actually a fantastic. <laughs> so, so your, your background that. wasn't in a technical field, right? No, it was actually in political science. Political I graduated science. With, a, with a political science bachelor's degree. So then you had to all of a sudden learn all this technology. Yeah. So I graduated from, from college, came back to the islands, knew I wanted to live here. And um, was finding a hard time finding employment for a little while. Um, so I decided to learn to program in order to augment Carrie's new desire to have this happy hour resource. Mm-hmm. So she was, you know, logging all this happy hour information. And I'm on YouTube, you know, clicking away and learning, learning to program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it started out as a website. Um, oh, yeah, just locally, Happy Hour Hawaii. Yeah, Happy Hour Hawaii started out as a local website. And we'll tell you the whole genesis here in a few minutes. <laughs> um, but um, it was just a website, and I was uh, logging all this information into the site. And over time, it started growing into mobile development. It became an iOS app. It mm-hmm. became an Android app. Um, and it grew into kind of a local resource um, for finding happy hour information. Mm-hmm. Now, Carrie, the way you describe it is that uh, you know, when you were doing the article and then doing the website, you went out and actually either called people up or oh, yeah. maybe physically went to the restaurants and, and looked at uh, what their happy hour specials were. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, we've we've done a lot of research on this too. And, you know, we wanted to build relationships with the restaurant owners and managers just so we had the most up-to-date information and to keep them involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we do provide data to our restaurants and um, we just wanted them to be interactive with us on social media. And we actually built an entire backend system where they can manage their own content. Mm. So they can log in, update their happy hours, update their photos, social media, whatever. We just made it easy so within two minutes they can update their happy hour for the next two, three months. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, we literally took our iPad and went door to door two and a half years ago saying <laughs> – would you sign up for our happy hour site? And then it, it kind of grew to the point where um, people in other cities were asking. They were asking for the resource and businesses First of all, started signing themselves. Can we buy your code to do it, the, do it themselves? Right, right. Or can we figure out a way to have it in our city? Mm-hmm. So Brandon went back to the drawing board and Square we started – yeah. We started rebuilding everything, and that's how we became now Happy Hour Pal. And, and that was actually the ultimate intention was to – we did field res- responses and requests, and we knew those were going to come. But I built Happy Hour Hawaii with the ultimate intention of expanding it nationally. And I think Hawaii offers a fantastic test market for just about anything. If you can make something work in Hawaii, um, I think you can make it work just about anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think in a way that's also saying that Hawaii could in its own way also be kind of a challenging market. When I hear what you're describing, I would say – yeah, I, it, you clearly must be uh, delivering some value to these restaurants because you're saying, hey, here's the platform. And mm-hmm. if you've got as if you had nothing else, uh, n- n- enough other things to do, you can log in and manage this stuff as well. And mm-hmm. so they must be they must be happy with the performance of your. your, your well, uh, definitely, site. especially with Happy Hour Pal, things that we learned on Happy Hour Hawaii, we took note. And, and put it into the new system. So the new system now shows um, real-time stats reports for them. So check-ins, rewards, all that kind of Gender, stuff. Gender, age. So they get to see everything that we're sending them. They see all the data mm-hmm. um, right when they log in. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, we definitely show some value with that. 
So when you expand to another city, uh, mm-hmm. is there something special that that city has to do in order to have the code implemented there? I mean, what's to I, – I think you – uh, maybe you haven't mentioned it yet, but maybe you can tell us where the other cities are. But how does another city sort of pick it pick it up? Can't they just uh, – do they have to do a special sort of licensing agreement or something? So Happy Hour Hawaii started out as the original website, and it became what's now called Happy Hour Pal. Mm-hmm. Um, that is actually a centralized system, and other cities kind of tap into it. It's one resource, and we actually have affiliates in uh, those cities representing Happy Hour Pal, mm-hmm. kind of going around, bringing the restaurants in, but it's all one system. Okay. Um, the apps and the website, everything's geolocation-based, so when you arrive in that city – um, or you can change your location in the upcoming app version. Um, you can actually see exactly what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So what are the other cities right now? Right now, it's Honolulu, Portland, and East Hampton, New York. Oh, okay. And was there anything about Portland? Was Portland just one that asked you and said, hey, you know, we love what you guys are doing and we want to have this implemented here? It's funny because we've had a lot of requests from a lot of different st- cities. I think we're... Just being a little strategic, um, Portland is the mecca of happy hour. They have more happy hours per capita than any other city in the United States. I know there's a lot of beer drinking States. going on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have amazing food, I have to say. <laughs> um, so so that was a great way for us to start over there. It's, it's West Coast. It's close to us. And then East Coast, we wanted to just start in New York and filter down. We have an affiliate over there. So how it works is we get an affiliate in each city. They add the restaurants. They help the restaurants and bars manage the content, and then, you know, we pay them out of commission. So I got the million-dollar question. What's the business model? How do you guys make money? Uh, we have a monthly membership fee for the businesses. Mm-hmm. So so anybody who is participating, mm-hmm. putting in their, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, information about their happy hour, mm-hmm. they yes. have to pay sort of a, a monthly. Yeah, yep. a small, a very small monthly fee. Uh, it's just month to month, and um, we show them all the data. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would decide, like, well, social media promotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll know if it's, if it's working. Yeah, for they'll them, know if it's yeah. working. We show everything. So, you know, it, there's no kind of hidden thing here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, if uh, somebody in our city keeps writing to you and say, hey, we really should have this here, you should say, you, well, tell you what, this can happen if you're our affiliate and you make those initial connections. Right. And we've fielded and all kinds of requests like that. It's we've just had we're, t- we're so specifically, many yeah, mm-hmm. specifically selecting yeah. and, and making strategic We decisions. get a lot of Facebook uh, um, personal. Uh, direct messaging Mm -hmm. on Facebook where people are like, hi, I'm from here. Can I start your your app and website? Because, you know, people that are tourists that come, they've heard about it. They've used it. I mean, when you search on Google, we come up a lot of results when it comes to happy hour in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So, so, yeah, we've had a lot of requests. Now, uh, in terms of... uh, um, well, where people can go and look for the website or download the app, where can uh, where can they do that? Yep. You can just search for Happy Hour Pal in the App Store or visit happyhourpal.com. Uh-huh. It's P-A-L, like your buddy. Pal. <laughs> All right, okay. Pal. Definitely go check that out. Yeah. I want to thank uh, Carrie and Brandon thank you uh, so for much. both joining us. Thanks for Thanks having us. Thank you. <laughs> Good luck uh, in your ongoing expansion. And be sure you keep us in the loop as well. Definitely. That's right. I'm going to go check so that out and find where I can buy some <laughs> cheap beer. Uh, and that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Russell Chang to talk about Founder Institute. Yes. What part does the Founder Institute play in the entrepreneurial landscape? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of the conversation. So please call 941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, you can also tweet us your questions at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. The ACLU wants to know whether the NSA's phone records roundup is constitutional or if it violates the First and Fourth Amendments. 
The organization filed a challenge to the authority provided under the Patriot Act, and we'll talk about it with the ACLU's Dan Gluck tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. An economist with a new book says parents need to relax and change their thinking about what their role is really about. You know, parenting, it's about having a relationship with another human being. It's a special one. It's irreplaceable. But it's not this science experiment model where now I'm going to create the perfect human. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason, Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Russell Chang. And uh, Russell is a serial entrepreneur and founder of the Honolulu chapter of the Founder Institute. How does the Founder Institute plan to nurture new entrepreneurs? How does it fit into the larger landscape? We'd, of course, love your questions and comments as part of the conversation at 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Russell, welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Well, thank you for having me here. Well, of course, the uh, the question that we're going to start off with is uh, what exactly is Founder Institute and, and really kind of how does it uh, sort of play into this overall uh, entrepreneurial ecosystem? Okay. Uh, Founder Institute is a, is a mentor-driven early-stage um, incubator uh, designed for first-time founders. So it's really about uh, founders, uh, essentially almost like a startup school for first-time founders. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, the, the, the institute part of Founder Institute is really kind of the differentiator. Well, it's very much a, a startup school, right? I mean, it, I think that's the way you can characterize it when you say institute. Mm-hmm, that's what mm-hmm, I think of mm-hmm. when I, fir- I first think of. I think of institution. That's mm-hmm, right, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a, a national program, an international program? This is very much a national program. It was started in 2009 in um, in, in, in the Bay Area and uh, has almost 40 offices. I think it has 40 offices right now throughout the, the you know, th- throughout the globe. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when, you know, you were first uh, looking at this, I mean, I know there's uh, this whole sort of accelerator activity activity that is happening here in Hawaii. Uh, and, then, and then when you came up with the idea of doing uh, sort of the Founder Institute, I mean, there was a certain amount of criteria that needed to be met for it to be established in Hawaii. Can you tell us a little bit about that sort of road, that path that you had to go down to get it established here? Well, there's a there's a backstory to it, actually. Okay, I, um, want to hear, I want to hear the backstory. The backstory was even funnier because I, I was just coming off of a, a failure of a company, um, that we we had spoken about on your radio program Which before. One was it? Uh, this is Readery. Okay, ah, the readery. so we had just uh-huh. we, you know we were speaking about Readery um, the last time, and what happened was um, uh, Brent Kakisako mm-hmm. um, and Donovan Kealoha, the two friends of mine, mm-hmm. were um, starting to build the Hawaii chapter for Founder Institute here. Oh, they were and, they they had already kind of started. Well, the, there the was some groundwork? there were some starts before, and and what happened was they were they were starting to really bring it together and um, they asked me to take a look at it and help them out and I said no I'm not interested in it I don't want to do this I'm I'm you know fully engaged right now I'm quite busy with something else but they said you know look Adele's going to be Adele Ressi who's the founder and CEO of Founder Institute um, is going to be on the big island he's there around Christmas time um, would mm-hmm. you just meet him I said well all right so I, I flew to the big island and um, ended up speaking with him for almost three hours and so I mean that's where it kind of got started. And I said I'll t- I'll do you know we'll do the first event. We'll try it out, and we'll see what happens. And a lot of people came up. I think it was over seventy one people registered for the event with like just a few weeks' notice. Mm-hmm. 
And so is that one of the criteria I would imagine? I would imagine somebody would want a Founders Institute in every city, but they are selective to some extent. So what was it that put uh, Hawaii, Honolulu on the map, in addition to your charm, of course, in that meeting? But what was <laughs> it that made, uh, that made this one take hold? I think um – you know, obviously, there's been quite a bit of activity in the in the local um, scene here in Hawaii for um, you know accelerators and entrepreneurship, um, which is a very positive thing, which is very good. Um, I think the other th- combination that was also considered was that Hawaii is a destination event, uh, destination location. So there are quite a bit of investors and mainland uh, people you know who work in the internet startups and stuff. Um, they have second homes here, and they come to either Maui, Kauai, or you know Big Island. They come to Oahu for their vacations, for their holidays during the summers. And stuff, and so as they come here, you know, there's an opportunity to really engage them. Right now, they're just on vacation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think Adele had addressed that there may be an opportunity to build something out here. Obviously, if these guys can put it on an expense, it's even better for them, right? Right. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Russell Chang about the new Honolulu chapter of the Founders Institute, an opportunity to help and mentor first-time entrepreneurs. If that sounds like you, a program you might be interested in, you can call in right now and ask for more information and ask your question at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689 or also on Twitter at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. Now, Russell, I thought it was interesting that you point out that, yes, a lot of very successful, uh, very wealthy um, startups and business owners do come through Hawaii, but sometimes it is more of a destination. It's more of a vacation. And I know that, uh, speaking for myself, sometimes you hear about like the lobby conference where some of the most uh, successful entrepreneurs come and have a very secretive meeting um, on the big island, but actually they don't interact with the local community. They kind of come here to get away from a larger community. So I was wondering in your meetings or perhaps as you uh, got to know the Founders Institute, did you get a sense for how Hawaii is perceived? I mean, because even the business community struggles with that perception is it's not a place where serious business happens. It's a place where you go on vacation. Is that the sense that you got from Silicon Valley, for example? Well, I didn't necessarily get that type of conversation going with them. Um, I think it was more of an opportunity here to build out a market that they thought was very similar to some of the other mainland cities um, and some other city geographies that they're expanding into. So, you know, I think one of the comparisons was made was to Puerto Rico, where the weather's very similar. You know, it's an island, island nation, you know, island mentality there as well. But I think more importantly, that there was a lot of characteristics that were similar. So they thought, you know, here's an opportunity to build something closer to home. Um, and of course, it be a destination, you know, destination city. And of course, with all the recent activity for you know entrepreneur activity that's happening here, I think there was an alignment. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, going back to the sort of the criteria. So, were were there some special things that Hawaii needed to do in order to really kind of kind of get the uh, the the shingle hung out there for Founders Institute? Well, what we needed to do is up, is is of course build up the you know the brand name Founder mm-hmm, Institute. Mm-hmm. Very few people would knew about this, um, and and when you think about it, what would you what would what would you think about it when you first hear Founder Institute? Right, you, you think of a school, you think of founders, you think of you know you may think of other things like startups, technology. Um, but what we needed to do was we were, we were trying to get um, as many people as we could to our our you know initially free events. Um, they're still free. Um, but to come to the to just get introduced to it, and mm-hmm. so there were, we're trying to get around three hundred or so people to just attend these events, and uh, eventually get seventy five of them to apply, and probably from those seventy five applicants, there will be about twenty to twenty five um, founders that will be the part of the inaugural program. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so that I think leads into the natural question, one that we asked Happy Hour Pal as well, mm-hmm. the very important one. So you have free events, you do make people aware of it, and people apply and want to be a part of the program, but. 
the business model for the Founders Institute, the way that it finds success in its mission of fostering um, first-time entrepreneurs, I guess, would be that if you're selected, is that where the the revenue comes from to sustain the Founder Institute? I wouldn't really characterize it as a revenue-driven you know organization in the sense where Mm. we're really trying to build the next generation of founders, right? I mean, I think that's the overarching, overarching, you know, discussion here. Um, Founder Institute is a school, so there is a, a, you know, there is a fee for the program. Uh, it's currently at nine hundred dollars right now, but we're really looking at um, the type of pricing that's involved in it. Uh, there, there have been, uh, you know, special pricing in the past for us as well, uh, but very much the, the the program makes, you know. The really the fees really go to bring in the mentors from the mainland and combine it with mentors that we right. found here. So that's mm-hmm. it. Sounds like maybe like a tuition model. At how long would a program be when you have that inaugural class? The inaugural class will start on um, July seventeenth and will run to November sixth, uh, which is essentially fifteen. It's a fifteen week program. So so you're talking about July, you know, like next month already. A little less than a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, we've been going on with this since um, I think the first event we had was March seventh. So you've been actually, I mean, I know uh, you've been uh, letting me know about some of the events. And I think, unfortunately, it's usually on a Wednesday, right? <laughs> yeah, that's why, you know, I think that's why it's hard to always do it with Bite Marks Cafe as well, too, right? Well, so so you've been, I know you've been doing uh, a number of events. And so, like you were saying, uh, these sort of free events are showcasing what it is that the Founder Institute can do. Well, it gives you a sample right, of what, right, right, what right, right, would right, be right. involved. We try to have uh, a founder, you know, a startup founder, CEO uh, involved in the, in some of our sessions. Mm-hmm. And that's very, worked out very well for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll give you a good example. I mean, I'm sure these people have been on your radio program as well, too. Um, James, you know, James Kerr from Super Geeks was here. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Cu- uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was uh, Bill Jarvis from But uh, But like um, um, James Kerr, James Kerr has been in business for probably a better part of a couple of decades, but right? See, here's the here's the thing about James. I mean, he's a, I've, I met him in Japan before, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where I first met him in Tokyo. What's uh, really interesting is that the founder, the, the 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 mentors that we're looking for, there are founder CEOs. They have been there and done that. They have built their they, they've shipped product. Right. They're owner operators. That's right. a really right. important so, but, because but, they have but, a lot of insight. But so James is not a. Uh, a, a part of the cohort. He's part. Of, he's part of one of the mentors. He would be part of the mentors. Oh, I got yeah. Okay, so, okay. you know, and he was one of our guest speakers in our in our preliminary, you know, run up to our semester. Mm-hmm. And so he's, um, you know, he's very much plugged into the internet scene, into the startup scene. In fact, he's, um, seems like he's starting up another company as well too. Oh wow! So yeah. you said that the cohort is about, I said maybe twenty five uh, participants, ideally. Or, yes, or ideally every you know every throughout every city, um, the idea is to have about twenty to twenty five. And um, the how many mentors uh, work with them through that uh, that that session? The, the goal is to have three mentors per session. Okay. So you know, th- yeah, over the fifteen weeks. So can you um, picture in my mind again? I, I can envision a school. I can envision I'm investing in that as I would in, in higher education to become an entrepreneur and start my own business. But uh, what does that look like for those those weeks? Is it uh, every day? Every business day, is it actually 24 hours? I mean, how intensive is that program? Mm. Okay, so the Founder Institute essentially is, 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 is almost like a night. It's a night program. You get to keep your, your job, keep your full-time job. This is going to be held. Founder Institute is going to be held on Wednesdays at 6.30 to about 9 o'clock once a week. Um, and, you know, you, you, you're going to have assignments to do. And, of course, there's specific topics that we're going to be teaching each week. These t- topics will range from, you know, the idea formation, um, getting it out there, bouncing your ideas to off with other people, and then, of course, figuring out if this idea really going to help you, you know, get you where you want to go. You need to do some research on it. Um, 
down the line, will there also be other sessions on you know incorporating your company, checking the legality of it, uh, and really setting you up, and then of course helping you launch the, launch it. So there's the introduction, you know, there's, there's really find find your idea, build your product, and then kind of get it out to the market. Mm-hmm. So kind when three you phases. when you talk about founder, I mean you're really talking about the individual that is behind that idea, as opposed to uh, you know like the accelerators that are looking at the actual company that is is. Ready team, to team ready to launch a, launch a product or launch you know, a business. Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Bert. Um, you know, the, the accelerators here in Hawaii and in very much in every city are really geared towards companies companies, I should say, mm-hmm. right, or mm-hmm. teams that mm-hmm. have incorporated and have uh, product, and they're 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 trying to ship and trying to get some traction. That's what that's the nature of what an accelerator mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And so um, what Founder Institute, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find first-time founders. So these are people that have a high, an, an aptitude for uh, founding a company. We do have an aptitude test for it. And, oh, really? And, yeah, what, there's an aptitude it? test for it. And if you score uh, um, quite, you know, it's a one through five, one through five um, ranking. Multiple choice. Oh. No, no, no. It, it, there's, it's scored one, you know, one, one oh, being okay, low right. and five right. being high. And um, if you score, you know, in the three range or so, I mean – People um, have a high propensity to become founders. Mm-hmm. They're, it's, they're trying to put what essentially what Founder Institute is trying to do is probably put some of the science into the art of starting a company. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so that's interesting. So you have SATs for school or to get into college. You have other standardized testing that help you, you know, as subjective slash objective as it is. It, it's a per, it's a lot of it's really more of a personality test more than anything else. I mean, mm. I give you an example of some of the questions that were asked. Oh yeah, because I was going to just about ask you. Ask, ask you want to take question. the test? No, 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 no. I just want to know some of the questions. Well, the, the, sa- the savvy the savvy listener here will will start googling founder institute aptitude test okay, okay right okay, so that's good, that's good the point. tip right, right there right, right. Um, but some of it's um, pattern recognition mm-hmm. just pattern recognition you know and so this goes back to your days in college or high school and stuff right um, some of it may also be about personality in other words um, you know it, an oddball question I saw was um, do you look do you like to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning <laughs> Well, would that be a negative or a positive on your? There's score? no negative or positive response for it, right? I mean, it, it really it describes you know. I when think you say, "Do you like your looking at yourself? yourself?" How do you quantify like? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like is it what's thirty seconds? You know, I didn't make up, I didn't make up the questions on the test. I had to take it, and I thought I actually thought it was pretty hard. And you know, I've done six startups before, and and I thought it was really hard. Did you Did you pass? Yeah, did you pass? Did you get higher than three? Well, I, I, I'm one of the co-directors with Brent now, well, right? Brent saw, Kakisako. Yeah, but it, you know, you started the whole the whole movement. So I mean, you know. <laughs> well, we got we got we got asked to build. We were asked to build up the Founder Institute here in Hawaii, in Hawaii chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, we did have to pass the pass the the aptitude test just like everyone else. Right. I right, think that's right. that's fair, sure, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about the Founders Institute and more about its role given the other programs that we have here in Hawaii, including the uh, the accelerators that we just talked about. But we'll get to, to that uh, after a short break to continue this conversation with Russell Cheng about uh, creating the environment for entrepreneurs to succeed. And, of course, uh, how does someone know if they have the right stuff? And maybe we sort of already answered a little bit of that, but – We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, of course, that number you can call here is 941-3689. And from the neighbor islands, you can dial 1-877-941-3689. Did I just say dial? I mean, who dials their phone anymore, right? I mean, it's like pushing buttons. Anyway. Thank you, Bert. This is Mike Marks Cafe. 
On the next Echoes, new music from down-tempo electronic denizens, the boards of Canada. We'll hear from their highly anticipated album, Tomorrow's Harvest. And I've also got the latest by Sigaros called Kvaker or Candlewick. I'm John DiLibretto, and I'll light it up on Echoes, a music soundscape from PRI, Public Radio International. Tonight at 10... The Island Oasis Ensemble presents Belly Dancing in HBR's Atherton Studio on Saturday, June 29th at 7.30. The exotic evening will feature belly dancers Masayo and Kalai, accompanied by live music, and will introduce you to Belly Dancing's Cutting Edge, the new style of tribal fusion which combines traditional dance styles with hip-hop, breakdance, and other new moves. A full band will back up the dancers for a rollicking evening. Reservations? Call 955-8821 during business hours. Well, welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Russell Chang about developing the next generation of entrepreneurs. And, of course, how does the Founder Institute grow this community of entrepreneurs? You can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And we would like to go to one of our callers who called in during the break. Her name is Sandy, and we want to welcome her from uh, Captain Cook on the Big Island. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Sure. What's your question? I was wondering if the Founders Institute does any work with agricultural businesses. Ah, excellent. Because we were just about to ask that. Like, who can qualify to be a part of this Founders Institute? I mean, who who are you looking for? Is this agriculture is part of it? The the ideal candidate for the Founder Institute really has um, really has some experience of working already. Mm-hmm. So we're looking. The average age really is around thirty to thirty four years old. They've had probably ten or fifteen years of working experience. They're either upset or not happy or not you know pleased with what's going on with their workplace, um, and they're looking for a new challenge. They're li- they, and they have the domain knowledge mm-hmm. of what you know they've been doing for quite some time, and so they decide that they do want to take action and really make an investment in themselves. So for the caller's question, you're looking for somebody who would, again, have that profile of someone who could succeed striking out on their own, but it's not like you're specifically trying to create a technology company or a media or a content company. So if you wanted to be a startup in agriculture, that would be perfectly reasonable. You know, generally, it was it was it started off as um, very much a technology-driven organization, mm-hmm. and, and really most of the startups are startup Companies from you know internet, web, mobile. Um, I think there is a collision course that is happening for you know Internet of Things, and so you start seeing things you know like Nike Field Band, uh, Fitbit, um, data coming out of your car, mm-hmm. refrigerators, refrigerators and yeah. stuff. I, I was trying to avoid the appliance thing because you know, that's <laughs> a little far off in that sense. But um, as you start seeing a lot more sensors in everywhere, you know, in, in place being placed, in, and people are starting to throw all that data to the mobile phone and to their iPads and you know and to their to their websites and stuff. Um, the, this collision course, this Internet of Things, um, really indicates that it's not just going to be purely Internet startups. Right. So and, it, and Internet's we, going to touch everything in that sense. And perhaps, again, maybe to just give hints to our caller, like uh, we, we've we had Tlet on the show, a startup mm-hmm. that's kind yeah. of related to sustainable yeah, I, tea growing. I know and, Elise. Right, Elise is a fantastic uh, entrepreneur. And then we've had shows about the Department of Agriculture and how they're using RFID to do inventory tracking and movement of their shipments of their, of their produce around the world. So uh, that could be another way that you would – 
kind of mix that technology with agriculture. So, so, so absolutely, because I think people are very passionate about what you just described. You know, it's it's their core area, and they have the domain expertise. I think the internet's touching everything. So, Sandy, does that uh, does that sort of help out? Yeah, absolutely. Here on the Big Island, we just have so much uh, agritourism going on, and that's the kind of area that I was thinking in terms of what how, what the future of that industry is going to look like here in Hawaii. Well, you know, Sandy, there is a there is an accelerator that uh, I think was started up there by uh, Bubs, right? Nalukai, Bub- yeah, Nalukai. Yeah, so you might want to look up that information there, um, and so maybe they may be able to help you. But I guess to Sandy's point also, uh, does the Founder Institute uh, uh, enable neighbor island folks to participate as well? Or do they have to somehow be on Oahu? Right now, you need to be on Oahu to do it. Um, you know, we're just starting off right now. This is the Honolulu chapter. It used to be called the Hawaii chapter. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gives you an indication of where it might might head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, some of the first conversations were really on Maui as opposed to here on Oahu. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it could be part of the future. So I guess for neighbor islanders, I mean, it's more uh, sort of like you have to be physically in the, the courses or the three hours on Wednesday. Well, here's here's the thing, right? It's a 15-week program, and you need to qualify to get in. And then, you know, it is, it is a fee-based right, program. Right, right, right. What's more important, too, is that there's a lot of work involved in building a company for yourself, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this is, you're building an enterprise. And so um, there is a lot of work in the coursework, and you need to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're... If you don't keep up, in other words, you're not keeping up with your investment for yourself, you may get kicked out of the program. Well, so I guess uh, one incentive might be or one option might be to actually come and live for 15 weeks here in Oahu and, and participate in the course. Well, yeah. So for Sandy, uh, we, w- we would certainly wish you luck in pursuing that business. And I think, yeah, looking at that startup uh, opportunities on the Big Island, Alukai Foundation um, probably would be a good place yeah. to, to Well, begin. thanks, Sandy, for that call. Thank you. Now, you know, the um, uh, when we were talking right before the break, uh, we were sort of uh, looking at this continuum of entrepreneurs and, and how you were looking at uh, the founder as opposed to the company. So when you have a, a founder that's got an idea and you want to give him the right sort of him or her the right tools to take that idea into a company, and then you have things like the accelerator that is already looking at a company that is in an early stage – and then, of course, right before the founder, you might have something like a startup weekend. So maybe ke- tell us a little bit about that continuum that you sort of envision. Okay. So I recently um, participated in I, – well, I recently attended the startup, uh, startup mm-hmm. weekend, mm-hmm. which was in – I think was in April. Mm-hmm. And we've come to realize that there's a gap between startup weekend and, say, the accelerators. And so Founder Institute is trying to put itself in the – you know, it's kind of in the middle where startup weekends on one hand, one side – uh, Founder Institute in the middle, and then of course the accelerators on the other end of it. At Startup Weekend, you have fifty-four hours to build something, you know, really build a demonstration or build a prototype, and and you really don't know a lot of the, the people involved in it until you, you show up on Friday, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas what we're trying to do at the Founder Institute is to t- help you with an idea. You're going to bring in, you know, several ideas, t- and we'll t- help you with those ideas to determine whether these ideas are valid or not. And feasible to pursue as a, as a as a as a company. When you graduate, you will have incorporated a company. Now that prepares you really much, pretty much for the accelerators as well too, mm-hmm. um, because the accelerators really require you to have a, a venture backed type of organization, and that usually means an Inc. or an S corp or a C corp mm-hmm. in most mm-hmm. cases, because they're going to be putting investment dollars into you. So what? Uh, that's the that's sort of the expectation that you know by the time you get to the sort of accelerator 
model you're already kind of an, an ink uh, I, I, I think I think the the I think the best way to do that and I, I can't speak for the accelerators but I think the anecdotal evidence that I have seen mm-hmm. was that the um, one of the accelerators had about 110 applicants to their um, mm-hmm. cohort to this past cohort that just graduated mm-hmm. of the 110 they had 102 that were rejected okay right mm-hmm. I mean they well they had yeah eight eight yeah, they had seven or eight that were were, were selected. Right. Um, let's take a look. If you take a very close look at all of them, they were in you know in in pretty much company form. Right. They were already fully formed. Yeah, and they had teams already that were kind of come you know that were going to go into their program. Mm-hmm. Whereas Founder Institute, on the other hand, we'll work with you as a founder to take your idea and help you even look for a founder if you need to. But really, take an idea and and validate it. And then help you build a, a, an organization around that. Now, um, one of the things that the uh, accelerator program does is that they put an investment into the company, and they may—I uh, mean—they will take a, an equity stake in that company. Uh, in terms of the founder participation for the cohorts that that you're looking for, there's still, or is there some sort of equity so the, play? So the founder institute is basically—it's—it's it's startup school for first-time founders. Right. I mean, it's in its most basic right. form, right? Um, so there is a, a fee. That brings in, you know, that p- goes to pay for, you know, the, the facilities and, and the mentors that come in and stuff, right? Um, there's food that we serve because it, it's, it's in the evening. And so the other part of it, too, then is um, in, if, you, if you come into the Founder Institute, you do agree to give up 3% of common equity into a bonus pool. And the bonus pool really is comprised of three parts to it. 40% of, it, of the bonus pool, of this 3.5%, goes to the Founder Institute. So that's for the long-term benefit, you know, for the for the for the organization. Thirty percent of it goes to the mentor network. So that's the people that are helping the founders. Um and the other thirty percent goes to the cohort, your peers within mm-hmm. the the Founder Institute for that particular semester. So you happen so, if you happen to be in the cohort with the next Bill Gates, you're probably in good shape. Well, <laughs> he, well, him, if he was a first-time founder, right, yes. Right. Well, so, well, 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 but back up. So, if you have a first-time founder, the first-time founder doesn't have a company yet. So, what you know that three percent that he's given up? I mean, what is it? We're going to be organized. It'll be a warrant. It'll be a warrant. A, and warrant, a warrant toward his company that is not yet formed. Well, we're going to be in order to graduate from the founder institute. You have to form. A you company. have to form a company. It's it. part of the graduation okay. requirements. Okay. Okay. So, prob- so probably part of the co- the review of the cohort is you know probably the likelihood of success of a of a of an entrepreneur's plan then and and in in fact we go first we go a little bit further back which is the aptitude test really is mm. do they have the aptitude to really form a company and to be very successful at it mm-hmm. and there is a correlation of like eighty six to eighty seven percent of the people that have score fa- fairly well on this test do fairly well in terms of setting up their own organizations. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess, so for that 3%, but there is, is there a funding opponent or it's really your value that you receive as a member of the court is all of this mentoring and the formation of a company and coming out the other end with a solid company? Okay, so there's three there's three parts to it, really. I mean, there's, there is a small fee for joining the program, sure, sure. right? Pays for all the mentors and stuff. There is the 3.5% of, of common equity that is asked. But of course, it's given back to the, everyone else as I just said explained now there is another component but only if you get outside funding there is a tuition fee of $4,500 paid only after you have significant outside external funding so for for instance if you graduate you have your company and you know like our like your previous guests in, in that were early on the radio program 
and they they get out they decide to get outside funding let's say 250,000 300,000 500,000 um for a seed seed round of funding or a series a they you know when they when they do get some funding they are obligated to pay a small tuition fee of 4,500 in the overall scheme of things that's a small fee when you're getting so that's part of the bit. sort of the, the contractual agreement that's part of the of contractual agreement yes Oh, interesting. Now, we're talking to uh, Russell Chang, and he is the uh, probably the co-founder or founder of the Founder Institute. Co-director. Co- of Founder Institute here in Hawaii. And if you are uh, interested in, in starting up a company or have an idea and you want to go through some pretty interesting training, uh, this is the place to get some information about the Founder Institute. You can give us a call here. The number is 941 Three six eight nine, or from the neighbor islands at uh, eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. Now you know our uh, Sandy asked about uh, agriculture, and and I think there's probably a, a, a variety of different kinds of uh, let's say vertical business niches that are out there that might be interested. Is there a is there a particular kind of uh, profile that you're looking for, or are you just sort of open to like out of the hundred or so applicants to the accelerator? I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of founders there that might be, um, I think, um, might look at the Founder Institute as possibly a, another vehicle to, to to get more experience. You know, Bert, that's a really good um, point to make. Um, we had a conversation with the you know the accelerators, both of the accelerators here, and they felt that it was very important you know to have a solid idea and have a team and mm-hmm. and and really when they apply because they're going to be looking for some of the best. They they want to place their best. They have to place their bets, and so in order to prepare them for um, that type of selection process, yeah, I think it would be very smart for for some of these founders and some of these companies that are thinking of applying to the accelerators to, uh, you know, come to the come to the founder institute and and go through the program. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, what happens at let's say with, with without assuming that there's that uh, that uh, seed funding, that initial round of funding after completing the program, what is the ongoing relationship with the graduate of your uh, cohort um, beyond the completion of that program? Do they remain in touch with the other members? Do you facilitate uh, opportunities uh, to, to reconnect with the mentors that they worked with? That's a very good question, Ryan, because I think the, the most value you get from, from Founder Institute really is about the mentor network. These are founder CEO types of people that have you know founded companies before and equally important once you graduate you're part of that network as I well see, see. and so you you still have access to all of the founders and some of the the as part of the alumni so yeah it would be a long-term um view on it fantastic so uh russell chang i mean we've got some uh, got a call here and uh we've got, uh, want to introduce bill from haiku who uh wants to ask you some questions about founder institute hello bill hi i've come up with a very unique uh uh souvenir idea that would sell anywhere in the islands and any beach community anywhere in the world, actually. I'm an artist. I worked on Oprah Winfrey's house and a lot of other celebrities' homes. Cool. Uh, I'm, I need to talk to somebody about a, a small amount of capital and a little bit of research as far as, because we're going to be printing on a very unique uh, fabric. Mm-hmm. Ah, sounds very intriguing. Um, yes. So, Russell, maybe uh, not necessarily – I'm not sure if, if the Founders Institute would be a path or maybe one of the accelerator programs for – So, I, I'm sorry. I didn't understand no. the question because he was just describing what he was trying to do first. Yes. So I'm not sure what the question was. But um, essentially, Founder Institute is not a funding organization. At this point in time, we're not passing out – we're not a venture fund. So, okay. we're not an angel fund as well either. So, we are – Essentially, a startup school or a mentor-driven right. incubator. So, Bill, are you are you looking for advice per se? 
Well, I can't seem to find uh, I can't seem to find the right information that I need in order to learn how to print on this certain substance. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm stymied, yet I know that my idea is worth literally... It's not pie in the sky either, because like I said, I've, I've worked on a lot of celebrities' homes. I'm a reasonably recognized artist, but mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of stymied. I, I, need, I need somebody who's interested in talking to me and uh, uh, so, we can, so we can learn how to print on this certain type of substance. Well, I would say a couple of things. One, I would connect with the the Maui makers there for some kind of more grassroots input and testing perhaps, quick prototyping. And I do Did you know, say Maui makers? Yes, Maui makers. Do uh, you know do you okay. know a Jerry Isdale? So I don't know anyone on the island. There you right go. Now. Okay. There you go. Well, Jerry is probably one that you might want to start with. And I do believe Maui makers. Maui makers. Absolutely. They would be good is that place like to Maui start. makers.com. Uh, I can check that for you, um, but uh, you can Google Maui Makers, and that'll get you there. Um, awesome. And I do know that the state does have some small programs that deal specifically with manufacturing. Um, is that an HTDC right. program? Yeah, ideally, I'd love to have this produced in, in Hawaii. Yeah. Well, you know, so so the point uh, being is that if you need to talk to somebody, there's a couple resources. One is, of course, uh, the Maui Makers. And, and it then, is MauiMakers.com. Right. And then there's the folks over at the uh, the Maui Economic um, uh, Development Center. Uh, MEDB. MEDB yeah. uh, over in Kihei. Okay. And, and they're they're connected with the High Tech Development Corporation. And if you just go over there and say, hey, I need to get some advice. You know, I just want to talk maybe some technical issues about materials and how, you know, this printing right. process might affect, uh, you know, this material. That's probably where you that's can get Maui some makers, points. That's Maui, M- M- Maui Economic Development. That's M-E-D? Yeah, M-E- M-E-D-B. M-E-D-B. Maui Economic Development Board. Yeah. And then uh, oh, Maui Makers it. is the other ones. And, uh, you know, th- they'll definitely be a place that will at least point you in the right direction. But, uh, awesome. You guys are great. Yeah, well, thank you very for much for your Good luck, Bill. So, uh, Russell, for the Founders Institute, if somebody wanted to find out more less than a month to the start of the, the cohort, where can they go for more information? They can get more information at, at two areas. We have uh, another event starting uh, coming up on um, June 27th. That's a Thursday at 6.30. Um, you can get more information and sign up for that event, uh, this free event, mm-hmm. at fi.co. Easy website to remember. Easy website. FI.co. Well, Russell Chang is the founder of the local chapter for Founder Institute, and we want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me here. And join us next week. Thank you for listening to this week's show, but we will continue the conversation about the entrepreneurial ecosystem with Blue Startups. We're talking to the first cohort there. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozlovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Small Black and a song called Free at Dawn. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Hoping you just come to